0: Welcome to MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Labs Alliances podcast series. My name is Steve Lewis. I am the Assistant Director of Global Strategic Alliances for CSAIL at MIT. In this podcast series, I will interview principal researchers at CSAIL to discover what they're working on and how it will impact society. Today on our podcast, I'll be speaking to Professor Tim Kraska. Tim is an associate professor of electrical engineering and computer science in MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab, the co-founding director of Data Systems and AI Lab, known as DSIL at MIT, and the co-founder of IMBLIC Analytics, Inc., which we'll talk about later on in the podcast. Welcome, Tim. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about the focus of your research and some of your bold aspirations?
1: Of course. Uh, thanks, Steve, first of all, like for having me here. Um, so my research area is either in uh, applying machine learning for systems. So we are looking currently into how we can improve systems or like what we call make them instance optimized through machine learning. And the other big area is how we build systems to make machine learning or data science in general uh, easier to use, So like how we can we broaden that more people can take advantage of their data and enable more people to do like data-driven decision making.
0: I see. And you know, toward that end, you had a project called Northstar. Can you tell us a little bit about the goal of Northstar? For sure. Um, so NorthStar uh, was a research project which started roughly
1: uh, seven years ago. Um, and the original motivation was that we wanted to build a system which works on these like n- like interactive whiteboards, like the Microsoft Surface Hub, uh, the Google Jamboard, and so on. And then over time, it evolved um, into a project to make like data science more generally accessible to a broader range of users, particular people which uh, now are termed uh, citizen data scientists. So this is a term by Gartner. Um, and because the Gartner realized there are simply not enough data scientists uh, to go around, just like at the same time, everybody wants to have them. They are like more and more data appearing. Everybody wants to do data-driven decision-making. So the big question is like, how do we enable all these people who have the right domain expertise, who know the problem really well, but maybe are not like uh, computer scientists or m- mathematicians or uh, um, and have the necessarily Python skills. To do data science, but still enable them so that they can analyze their data. And this was like the, the motivation behind Nostar. And like over time, this became a company called Einblick. Like actually, Einblick is completely based on uh So like we, it's an official MIT uh, brown spin-off. Um, so, like, the, the Nostar project went through several phases. Like, when we started with it was like, yeah, we targeted this, like, interactive whiteboards, like the um, Microsoft Surface Hub, the Google Jamboard. Like, you, you can think of them as, like, large TVs, uh, touchable TVs you put on a wall. And uh, we saw that people started to use them for video conferencing, as well as, like, having a shared whiteboard experience in different remote locations. But we always thought, hey, there could be so much more. So why can we not create a a data environment where people can work together like in a minority type of fashion? Um, So we developed the first prototype of that and uh, then deployed it to a bunch of companies. And the main feedback was like, oh yeah, that's great. But uh, like we are not in a meeting room all the time. And so we, based on that, we created the second version of the software. Now we also got funded by DARPA because uh, DARPA had this grand vision of putting a uh, data scientist in every single operational unit. We heard from more and more companies that they wanted to do uh, something similar. So we created the second version of the software as a prototype. We, d- we developed a complete new backend because we also found that uh Um, that the system is not sufficient uh, for uh, supporting these types of interactions the user were were making, Uh, we developed like new AutoML tools and we deployed the software again at a bunch of companies. Um, And this time the feedback was very different, instead of saying like there's something fundamentally missing like that we cannot do it's more like oh. Feature requests, like we want to have a f- form of dashboard. We need to have exports to different formats and other things. And that was the time where we said, like, yeah, we really want to see this software live and that people use it. Um, at the same time, it feels wrong to use PhD students to do the work for it. And so we decided to do a spin off, which is called Einblick, um, like to support now the software in a commercial setting, as well as also for governments.
0: Yeah, if the listeners out there want to go to einblick.ai, there's a video on the main page, which gives you a good feel for the UI and the simplicity of it. But it's yet, I think it appears to be very, very powerful. Um, and that's very exciting. So switching gears a little bit, um, can you tell me what's new and exciting in the domain of database design and architecture?
1: <laughs> of course. Um, so like one topic we are particularly interested in, Uh, In right now it's just like how to use machine learning to improve systems, so um, if you think about traditional systems, they are normally if you design a system you target a whole range of use cases like um, let's assume you are developing new data warehouse uh, database like. You build the data warehouse for all types of like retailers, um, manufacturers. Like pick your favorite um, like uh, industry, and the same type of system will deploy there. Um, the reason why we we build systems that way is like building a system from scratch takes a long, long time. So the normal saying is just like it takes seven years, for example, to develop a more or less stable database. Um, the downside is because of this like uh, general behavior of the system that attacked so many workloads, you probably don't get the best possible performance out of the database for a particular use case so let's assume like you would develop a system. Only for Walmart only for uh, the this, like one dashboard and you know it runs only on a Monday um probably you would design the whole system very very differently uh, and you wouldn't make like the compromises you have to make in designing a general purpose system and so the question we are asking ourselves is like how can we leverage machine learning to build something which is instance optimized so a s- system which self-adjusts based on the
0: workload as well as the data that's interesting um so do you use machine learning to Uh, enable that more efficient design of that system? Yes, machine learning
1: is like one big component of it. So like in the end, we use whatever like works and it doesn't have to be machine learning. It can often be also just like traditional optimization techniques, but machine learning obviously plays an important role because it gives us a tool to navigate this like really large search space of potential configurations and options. And in other cases, it even goes further than that, because sometimes it's possible to replace traditional components of a system through a model. So for example, we did some work where we show that machine learning models can replace traditional B-tree indexes. Or we have another line of work where we show that a machine learning model can replace a query optimizer. And now traditional like uh, more hand-coded designs are entirely replaced by a model. But what we use essentially depends always on the, the problem we are trying to
0: solve. I see. Um, so I, I assume that that model is more efficient and faster than you know running down the whole B tree. And, and I mean, what what types of speed improvements or optimizations uh, are you seeing using a model versus a traditional approach?
1: there are often like several advantages you get from it. So like in the case for indexing, for example, it's like the, the, the index lookup is a little bit faster in certain cases, but like uh, particular for indexes, the big difference comes from the size of the index. So model, like how it works is we use the model to like represent, uh, represent the data to, through continuous functions. And in some form, this does a, a higher form of entropy compression which can be much, much more compact. And now if the index is more compact, you can fit more data into main memory and that has like significant performance advantages. So there's a recent paper, for example, by Google who shows like if you uh, integrate just like learned index structures into table, they get up to 50% better uh, throughput numbers, uh, mainly because they are so much smaller. Um, but we want to keep it further. So like sometimes the, the size, the lookup performance gets better, but the other important aspect is also you get this like self adjustments. For example, the, the query optimizer. The big advantage there is that the query optimizer starts to learn from its mistakes and self adjusts based on that. And that's something traditional techniques normally don't
0: do. I see. And is this um, is this available commercially? Is this open source, or is just you know uh, it's still in the lab? Um, So this is like roughly still in the lab. We are currently building a new system
1: which we call SageDB, where we are trying to integrate everything. Um, And we are also planning um, potentially to make an open source version of it. There are parts of the techniques we developed so far, which are all open source. So if you go to our DCL website, it's Um, we actually have a list of like all the code we, we published so far. So you can try out, for example, our Learn Query Optimizer for Postgres, just download it and,
0: and test it. That's great. Um, let's talk about uh, an important issue these days, privacy. And um, is it possible to design a privacy preserving database? <laughs> That's a
1: very uh, tough question. Um, I think it is possible. That, um, like it's definitely possible. The question: How useful would that database be? Um, we we did like some work with like a project called DB in that area. But this is not really about privacy. It's more like that we um, are compliant with GDPR, which is slightly different in the sense of that GDPR, for example, has the requirement if a user comes in and ask for please delete all the records related to me from the database, you have to comply to that. And even that simpler problem, how to like make sure that you can delete all the records for a given user is not trivial. Um, For example, if you have a model uh, which uses the user information as part of it, do you also need to delete the model because the model arguably contains some information about the user.
0: Yes, and, and what about log files and things like that? I, I can imagine that it, uh, the, the, the hole goes deep as far as that's concerned. So, uh, can you talk a little bit more in detail about uh, SchengenDB DB and, and how it may be used to at least comply with GDPR or, or protect privacy?
1: Yes, yeah, so like uh, is like um, just like what's the design concept because we we thought like okay, what needs to change in order for a database to be fully GDPR compliant? Um, and like it turns out it's actually more complicated than you might think. And you just mentioned the right point here. It's just like the logs. So for example, if you have a transactional database, normally the everything is updated in the database, but the ground truth, the one which is like fault tolerant and reliable is the log. So everything is stored in the log and you always use the log in order to like, for example, if something goes wrong, recover. Mm-hmm but that also means that the log contains like for example all the user information right because right. like if yeah. the user updates something it's written to the log yeah so now if you want to be really fully gdpr compliant and the the legal definitions are not 100% clear there it's just like like for example one of the questions is do you need to modify the log which is used to be a total no go because if you've like change something in the log and you do it wrong you might not be able to use the database afterwards anymore mm-hmm. you cannot recover and this is where the complication comes in um is this really needed legal wise like uh, um like yeah actually we, we talk to experts in the field and it, it's even there don't know um because they, like the, the definitions talk about reasonable efforts but if the ruling becomes like yeah locks a problem too then we need to redesign all the systems in
0: order to actually be GDPR compliant. Yeah, I could see that would be a, a really big challenge for sure. Um, but interesting, interesting work that that is going on in that field. Where could our listeners find out more about Schengen DB?
1: Um, so we have a paper uh, which was published, uh, published at the workshop, uh, that's probably the best starting point or simply reach out to me anytime it's like kraska at mit.edu, and I'm more than happy to answer any questions
0: about SchengenDB or also any of the other projects. Very good. Um, so what, what is the future of, of a database design, of database architecture or systems? Um, I think like uh, performance is still definitely
1: in uh, like a strong research area. Um, you might think about like is our database is not already fast enough, and my answer to that is always that um, like data right now is increasing as like an, an like unprecedented uh, pace, while essentially Moore's law is ending. And so we need to come up with like new methods to deal with the increase in data and, and still be able to like efficiently analyze everything we get because nobody wants to delete data ever, ever, right? It's just like normally you don't want to do that. And so on one hand, like an exciting area definitely is like instance optimized systems, like applying machine learning to like improve systems and tailor them for a given workload and data distribution. I'm very personally very excited about that area, um, but. There are other interesting topics um, I can think of, for example, um, how to make um, like analytics more accessible to a broader range of users. So Einblick is one example of it, but there are many new approaches as well which use like natural language processing um, so that you can just ask like your question in, in like, normal language and something should come back. There are some commercial systems right now, but they are very, very limited, for example, you can ask a question like show me the sales in California, it would show you a chart. But then the follow up question about like oh why did my sales drop none uh, none of the systems right now could answer and so that's another very exciting area, I think. Um, And then, of course, like the. The expansion to new like types of data, for example, uh, like video in particular is very in- interesting or images. How do you build systems to efficiently search and analyze video data? Like um, there's so many cameras nowadays and like alone in the Boston area. And maybe you wanna answer a query like how many cars every day uh, go over a red light? And that's very, very hard as the current techniques. So it requires a mix of machine learning to understand the video data, but then also like more traditional processing techniques to answer the just analytical question to get in the end ant- a quantitative measure, hopefully with
0: some error bounds. Mm-hmm. That would be exciting for sure. Can you talk about anything you've done with our member companies through the CCA Alliance program? yes for
1: sure uh, like we like particular with the north star project we were uh like the CCL alliance programs so has been great like probably all our initial customers like uh came either through the CCL alliance program or like a one conference we did so like they they're super super helpful and we're always looking like for like partners in industry to try out our software and it's like it's a, like uh, it goes uh, the, the well, everybody has like benefits from it because like the industry partner can try out this like new type of software and see if it actually works for them get like early access to to it. Uh, whereas like we like learn a ton by seeing how people would use it and what the real problems are. Um, like I, the the thing that just comes to my mind is like CIBC uh, the bank we are just starting again like a uh, like a small talk series. Uh, with them to just like show them on how NOSTAR and now Einblick works. And, and this came definitely out of the Sale Alliance program. Um, so it has been great so far. And um, like
0: we would love to even get more involved than we used to so far. That's excellent. Well, Tim, it was great to talk to you. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Steve. If you're interested in learning more about the CSAIL Alliance program and the latest research at CSAIL, please visit our website at cap.csale.mit.edu, and listen to our podcast series on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in next month for a brand new edition of the CSAIL Alliances podcast and stay ahead of the curve.